there. We anybody melt from the heat yesterday? We are in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Our saga continues here with David and Saul. Uh, another twist and turn today that we're going to take a look at. Powerful, powerful moments in this situation. Remember, uh, Saul is pursuing David because he's jealous and hateful of the call of God on David's life. David had no intentions of uh, provoking Saul, but yet just the the blessing on his life and the fact that he's been anointed to be the next king is provocation enough for Saul to take the gloves off, to hunt him down, to chase him from cave to cave, from woodlot to woodlot to end his life. And that's where we find David. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to have Sister Kim read you chapter 24. It's, uh, it's not that long, but uh, let's ask the Lord to bless the word as we read it this morning. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come together and that we can drink in your word. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our ears so that this can change our heart. Father, we didn't come just to hear the word. We don't want to be hearers only, but we want to be doers. So allow these principles to connect with us so that on Monday morning we have a different perspective. We have a different idea of how we should act and live, and we'd be more like Jesus than we are right now. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave and went on his way. Verse eight. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you, although you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a single flea? 
The Lord, therefore, be judge and decide between you and me, and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Verse 16. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now, swear to me by the Lord, you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. David swore to Saul, and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. The drama continues. We see interesting turns of events here as two people are involved here. David's being pursued, Saul's pursuing, but the hand of the Lord is all over this account. We see God intervening and uh, God allowing uh, moments of escape. Remember last time Saul had David almost surrounded and what happened? The Philistines attacked and Saul had to break off his pursuit immediately and go defend the nation of Israel against the Philistines and David was able to escape. So we see the hand of God in many of these things and we see uh, you know, God involved. Yet David's going through these hard situations. We noted that it's to perfect his character. You need integrity and you need character to be a king, to be a good king. And God was proving what was in David. Sometimes when pressure and crisis bring out our character, sometimes even we're shocked at what's in us. It's quiet this morning. Sometimes we're shocked at how nasty we can get because someone took our spot or cut us off in the Walmart line. And you're thinking, where did that come from? Sometimes there's things in our character that we don't even know are there. But God knows they're there. And it takes pressure and it takes crisis and it takes these situations to bring them out, to bring the dross out of us, to perfect us, to make us more like Jesus and less like the flesh would have us. So David uh, is being pursued here. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, the moment Saul's done handling the Philistines, he's back to his pursuit. He doesn't break off. He doesn't get bored. He's relentless at this point. His ego, his pride are inflamed. Uh, remember, this situation is perfecting David. But at moments, you know, you might think, how much can he take? This is galvanizing his faith. And he's going to need it. And before, you know, I'm doing a little introduction here because it's so important. Before we think, you know, well, God, why did you let David go through this? This is unjust. And it is. Many times in life, we go through things and we think, they're unjust. I don't deserve this. I didn't sow this. I didn't do this to others when I had the chance to do it. Come on, are you alive out there? And you're saying, God, why am I reaping things I didn't sow? God knows what's in our character and what, what, what needs to be brought out. And I want you to think about one thing before I jump into the text. David, even going through all this crisis, even having his faith galvanized, even having his character proven, he still sinned with Bathsheba and he still murdered her husband. So how much refinement in us is enough? We can never shake our fist at heaven and say, it's unjust. You're unjust, God. He knows exactly what's in us. 
and he knows exactly what he needs to do to get it out of us. Verse one, Saul's network of eyes and ears are on top of things. They accurately and faithfully report David's whereabouts and the intelligence comes back to him that David and his men are holed up and in Getty. So he has good positive location on them. This time in verse two, Saul doesn't muster a large army. He realized the large army made him clumsy. It, it, tactically, it made him slow and David was able to stealthily evade the large group. This time it says Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. So he picks 3,000 elite guys who are going to be able to move quickly and negotiate this terrain that David's in. Notice David uh, is uh, in the place where the goats and the cliffs and you say, well, why in the world would David hide out where the billy goats live? Because that terrain is hard. When you're a prey animal, you learn to hide yourself in difficult terrain so that the predators don't get you. Hello? David is being pursued like a prey animal by a predator, Saul. So he goes into a location where the terrain is tough. Saul is no dummy. He's a brilliant tactician. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But he, he scales down his force. He takes an elite force that they're good and they're fast and they can move in this terrain. It, you know, it's the equivalent of Israel's 10th mountain division where he's like, these guys are fast enough to catch him. Now I'm going to get him. So understand, David is fleeing here, and Saul is coming against him. He's no pushover, Saul. Saul is a brilliant military tactician. His valor has been proved over and over again in battle. It's well documented. He has beat back and decimated God's enemies in Israel. Saul has. When Saul was called, the only thing we knew about him is that his father was a man of war and Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. So this guy is no joke. Understand the only reason David's evaded him, not because David's stealthy, not because he's slick, not because you know, he's outfoxing him, is because the hand of the Lord is upon him. You and I need to understand the reason we've survived and lived and made it to where we are today is not because of our own doing, our own strength, our own wisdom. Amen. It's because the hand of the Lord is upon us. Because God is for us. Because God has a destiny for us. God had a destiny for David that Saul couldn't snuff out. Even in all his brilliance, even in all his wisdom, he couldn't snuff out the will of God in David's life. So Saul pursues, David is in the rocks with the wild goats. Tough situation, tough spot to be in. Verse three, this is where the whole story just becomes incredible. Verse three is basically, it says here that Saul goes to the cave to go to the bathroom in the exact cave that David and his men are hiding in. I mean, what are the odds of this? astronomical. I don't know how many caves there were in that region, but if it's a place where, you know, it's rocky and hilly and there's crags everywhere, uh, there's got to be thousands of caves. What are the odds that, you know, Saul takes a potty break in David's cave? Come on, that's exactly what's going on here. Some of you are looking around like, can he, can he say that in church? Is it okay? Yeah, he was going number two, okay? That's what the Bible says. And we're going to see that here he comes and he picks this cave. Now, Pastor Mike and I were kind of joking before. I mean, was this a cave that had one of those little old guys with the towels in it, you know, that you had to give it? Was it like the men's room cave? I don't know. But David's in it, and here comes Saul 
to use the gate, the, the very cave. I mean, it, it is not an accident, it's a test. And that's what we got to see. This is a test, a test of what? David's character, David's integrity, David's ability to restrain himself. This is going to be a test for him. Saul gets in there and, and he's, you know, he's doing his business here. And now David has the very real opportunity to just take Saul out. I mean, I can't think of a more vulnerable position to be in. You know, the Bible calls it cover, he was covering his feet. You do the math on that one, okay? But, I mean, that is a vulnerable position. Come on, the bathroom is the only place adults can have any privacy. (laughs) And so, this is the test. It's not an accident. And the king's, the future king's character is being put to the test. Verse 4, David's men, they express, uh, you know, what they think David should do in the test. Now, realize we said leaders should always listen to those that they lead, and he does listen to him. It says in verse 4, the men of David said to him, behold, this is the day of which the Lord has said, behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Now, think about that for a second. They're saying, this is it, David. This is the day. God has delivered Saul into your hand. Now, go, you know, go take him out. Basically, you know, they're rejoicing. They're excited about this. Now you think, well, why are they so excited? Because they're also running for their lives. I don't know if any of us have ran for our lives at any time, but listen to me, running for that extended period of time, the anxiety, everything, they wanted this to be over. Most of us have never run for our lives. I only run when the food's ready, okay? At this point, that's when I run. But I'm not, you know, I'm not running for my life. So you can't be too hard on these guys. But they're like, this is it. This is the end of our race. This is the end of our pursuit. Take Saul out and let's move past him. Let's install you as king and let all of this be over. So that's what the men want to do here. Now, they, they, in their speaking, they add one caveat and it's this. You shall do to him as it seems good to you. Now, what they meant by that was that, you know, you're not going to go in there and give him a flower and some air freshener. What you're going to do is you're going to kill him. And that, you know, they were thinking, you, you pick the way you're going to kill him. You pick the way you're going to take him out. But they never, they never thought David was going to do what he does and realize this is pressure. When those people who, you know, are your, you know, they're your army, they're your friends, they're your men at arms, and they have an expectation of you and you're about to disappoint them. This is more stress for David and more of a test of his character. It's quiet this morning. Saul did what the people wanted to do. David did what God wanted to do. It was the difference between them. God has delivered your enemy into your hand. David didn't see Saul as an enemy. We're going to see how he sees him in just a little bit. You shall do to him as it seems good to you. Please go in there and kill him any way you want. Shoot him, stab him, drag him, choke him, do whatever you want, but let's get this over with. Verses 5 through 6. David, no doubt, acts with more restraint than 99.9% of us ever would have. He restrains himself. He doesn't murder Saul in that moment of weakness. He doesn't take advantage of the situation. It says, it came about afterwards. What does he do? He goes in there and he cuts off, you know, a piece of the garment. It says, it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So picture this. The men see David creeping forward to where Saul's at. They're in the back of the cave and they're all like, here we go. David gets up to him. He pulls out his dagger and they're like, yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah, that'll do. Puts his dagger away, 
puts it away and he retreats. Now, they were probably as quiet as you are right now, disappointed. Yes. You've got to be kidding me. You, 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 that's all you're going to do? You're just going to take a piece of his robe? We're going to continue to run for our lives? We're going to all continue to live in peril? Because I, they, they have got to be so disappointed. Yet David does what seems good to him. And that's what they said. They probably didn't mean it, but they said it. Now, David, uh, his conscience convicts him. Look at that. Now, this is what I want you to see. This guy's heart is different than, than the hearts of man. It's a different heart. It came about afterward, David's conscience bothered him. because He cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, now listen, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord. So he says, I fear God, and, and, and Saul is still the king and the Lord's anointed. Notice that phrase. He calls Saul the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. So high drama here, and, and I want you to see a couple things about David here. He restrains himself, and also he restrains his men. And notice what he says about Saul. He's my Lord. So he still sees Saul as king. He doesn't see him as an enemy. We're going to see that in David's heart. Also, he sees him as the Lord's anointed. Because he doesn't know that the Holy Spirit's withdrawn from Saul. He doesn't know that, you know, God's rejected. He doesn't know all of those details. And he still sees him on the throne and the king of Israel. So he doesn't want to touch leadership. He doesn't want to take this situation into his own hands. Now, David's conviction is this, that you guys want me to kill him. But, you know, if I do that, it's a great sin against the Lord. And David's conviction is if I kill my way to sit on the throne, it's going to be a, an offense against God and it's going to bring a curse on my own life. And historically, David's conviction bears out because if you study history and the, the tales of kings and how kings rise and uh, come to power, even in scripture, you'll see that people murder their way to the throne. You look at what happened in England's history and, and France and all these things, the treachery of how people, they would murder little children who were next in line for the throne. So now it was their turn. Wow. David didn't want any part of that. David didn't ask to be king and he wasn't going to make himself king. It's quiet this morning. Be careful how you push your way into leadership. Be careful how you push your way into a job promotion. Be careful the way you treat others when it's not your turn yet. Because God's watching. And even though we're his children, we reap what we sow. David's conviction is historically accurate. Those who shed blood to take the throne almost always had their own blood shed and relieved from leadership. So he refuses to do it. He restrains himself and he also restrains those he leads. He tells his men, I'm not doing this and you're not touching them. And they wait until he's done and he leaves. And think about that. To be a good leader, to be a, a, an example to others, not only do we have to restrain ourselves, we have to restrain others. It's quiet now. We need to restrain others in our homes. We need to restrain our children. Could you imagine if we just let our children do whatever they wanted to do? God can't imagine that either. He requires restraint 
from his leaders and he requires leaders to restrain others. So he does that and his men, uh, his men back him and they, 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 they kind of stand down and he doesn't let them touch him. And verse seven is where, you know, he, he restrains himself. Now, David could have did something here that was interesting. David could have said, well, I'm not going to touch him, but you know, if you guys want to kill him, I'm not going to stop you. Think about that. You know what that is? That's an Ahab spirit. Ahab used Jezebel, his wife, to do his dirty work because he was too gutless of a coward to dirty his own hands. So he used his demonic wife to, to kill prophets and to do things in Israel that were just wicked. And Ahab was like, he would whine and whine and whine until Jezebel did his bidding. Quiet this morning. So David didn't have a Jezebel spirit. David wasn't a whiny, spineless leader. He restrained himself and he restrained his men. Now in verse eight, it gets even richer here. His men have got to be aggravated that David didn't kill him. They've got to be a little bit confused over the fact that he restrains them. And in verse eight, he, he does something here that is just, you know, it, it is completely insane. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, say what? I mean, think about that. You're hiding, you're running. This guy comes into your cave. You know, you, you violently assault his robe and commit, commit crimes against, you know, clothing here. And now you come out of the cave and you call after Saul. I mean, just think about that, the exposure of that. I mean, he just put his life and the lives of his men into Saul's hands. A huge exposure here. He came out of the cave, called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to do you harm? So right away, he calls the king out. He says, You've been listening to everybody else. You've been listening to the words of others who want to inflame the situation, who have wrong desires and wrong motives, but you've never considered my character. You've never considered my actions. What a great point this morning. We shouldn't condemn others or despise others or take offenses at others at the words of other people. We should let people's character speak for themselves. It's just amazing. In our country, you know, with the media that we have and just the, the, the rapidity of, you know, what we have in our hands, news travels so fast, people can say something about someone that's a complete and total lie and everybody jumps on it and then you got people texting and twittering and, and posting and all of a sudden, after all that nonsense, they find out, oh, it wasn't true. <laughs> No retraction. They assault people's character. It's amazing. Some of us have experienced stuff like that on social media, just our character being assaulted and assassinated. David's saying, you're listening to everybody else, but you're not considering my actions. You consider the accusations of men, but you're not considering my character. Don't form your opinion about others by what you've heard about them. David tells Saul in the cave, I could have killed you, and here's proof. And he pulls out that little piece of robe. Now the little piece of robe makes sense. It makes sense to the men that are still in the cave. It makes sense to David, and it's about to make sense to Saul. He pulls out that little piece of robe that showed he was in close enough proximity to Saul and that Saul never even realized he was there, that he could have took him out with a single stroke, but he didn't. 
David tells Saul, I could have killed you. He said, in fact, people told me I should kill you. But I had mercy on you and I will not harm you because I see you as the Lord's anointed. Wow. What a heart David has. What a heart David has that he fears God, that he sees God is in control, that he knows it's not Saul that he's warring against, but he's waiting his turn for God to install him as king. He says to Saul, look, I could have taken you out, but I didn't. You know, my, my, heart, my heart is not against you. I, I, I can almost feel David's heart. He respected Saul. He admired Saul. He served Saul. He played the harp for him when the spirit tormented him and, and, and he drove those evil spirits away. He had had an affection for Saul. It's, it's almost like, you know, you can sense it there that he wished that none of this was happening, but it was happening. But it wasn't happening because David was against Saul. It was happening because Saul was jealous. Listen to verse 11 here when he says, now my father, he calls him his father, See indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me of you, but my hand shall not be against you. Wow. What an exposure here. He is laying all his cards on the table. He calls Saul his father. He directs his attention to the piece of robe. He says, there's no rebellion in my heart. There's no hatred in my heart towards you. In verses 12 and 13, David's plea to Saul is this. Let the Lord judge between you and I. See, there's a lot of wisdom in statements like that. Amen. You and I want to go head to head with people. We want to plead our case. We want to fight our battles. But you know, it's better to let the Lord judge between us. Because you know, there's times where we're mostly right, but partly wrong. Amen. There, it's rare. I've been married for, it's going to be 27 years, right? 27 years. I can't remember any fights where I was 100% right. And even though I was mostly right, that didn't stop me from pleading my case. <laughs> Now, some of you don't know this. Kim was going to be a lawyer before she married me and we went to ministry. So she's pretty good at fighting. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> so understand, you know, let the Lord judge. That's a good thing. Amen. Instead of you and I, you know, going toe to toe with people, just let's step back and let the Lord sort it out. Amen. Yeah. I'm telling you what, it's a good way to be. You know. Some people just want to fight all the time. They want to argue all the time. You ever meet people like that? They just like the drama. They got to stir it up. Man, just get away from me. I don't, I don't need that. You don't need that. You know, I just look at people, oh, this and that and this. And even in ministry, man, just let the Lord judge. I, listen, there's people who've come up against me and this and that and this. And I just, you know what? You can fight by yourself over there. And then two years later, five years later, 10 years later, the Lord sorted it out. <laughs> Amen. I'm still here and I don't know where they are. But listen, God will fight your battles if you hold your peace. If you flap your big mouth and God says, oh, we got a fighter here in this corner having not enough brains to know. You guys are a little slow this morning. Is it hot in here? I don't know. It's good. But anyways, David's not being suckered into it. He's, 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 Basically telling Saul, I'm not, I'm not against you. I'm not going to hurt you. Um, 
Let the Lord judge between you and I. Uh, he quotes an ancient proverb basically saying that, you know, wickedness comes out of wicked people and there's no wickedness coming out of me towards you. So also you got to judge me by my actions, not by what you've heard from other lesser men. Verses 14 and 15, David speaks very humbly about himself. He's almost self-deprecating in the way he describes himself to Saul. And there again, I think David is being very sincere here. He's not just being dramatic. He says, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me. So David is saying, look, I'm nothing. I'm not against you. I'm not trying to take anything from you. He calls himself a dead dog. Now in Israel, you didn't touch dead things or you would be unclean. So David is basically saying, I, I, you know, and a dead dog is no threat to anyone. So he's saying, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm a single flea. Did you hear what he said? Not even a bunch of fleas. I mean, a bunch of fleas, you could say, a bunch of fleas, that's bad. But a single flea, I mean, that's like, oh, there we go. He's done. I'm a single flea. I'm a dead dog. There again, not melodrama, not rhetoric, sincerity. He really, he, David doesn't feel about himself like there's anything special about himself. And that's what makes him special. That he's humble, and God could use a humble man who listens. A, a dead dog, a single flea. It's not just drama. It's, it's the way he feels about himself. He, God said to Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not made king over all Israel? David is little in his own eyes, and his humility should speak to us. You know, some of us take ourselves way too seriously, You know, I deal with people I'm looking at and they're just like, you know, uh, how dare you speak to me like that? Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, some of us, I mean, in online, it gets worse about how people think you want to puff themselves up. And uh, I was offended when you said, oh, get over yourself. Get over yourself. You know what? Uh, our generation has gotten so ridiculous hiding behind the keyboards. I wish we can get rid of all the computers and all the keyboards. And let's just, you know... <laughs> Let, let's just stand eye to eye and let's settle this. I found that people are a lot less brave toe to toe, eye to eye, you know? Society is a lot more civil that way. <laughs> but, you know, David has a humble heart and he doesn't think much of himself and that's why he's special and God says he's a man after my own heart. You know, how, how different is the heart of our generation that we just think so much of ourselves that if you say a word that offends me, everybody has to call you out on it and you have to be punished to never say that word again. How fragile have we become that words can cause us to come unglued? Wow. Again, verse 15, David pleads, let God judge between you and I. And that's a good thing. Uh, you know, he wants to be spared from the wrath of Saul. And he's saying, just, I'm not going to bother you. I'm not coming after you. Just stop chasing me and let God decide. And, you know, his words are powerful. In verses 16 through 19, David's words hit the mark. And that's what I want you to see here. When David had finished speaking, verse 16 says, and this is good. Why? Because what a speech it was. And I want you to see something. It wasn't just David's words. These words were spoken under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Some of us say a lot of words, but it would be better for us to say less words and have the Lord speak through us, amen? Some of us say a lot of words to our spouse, but we should just give them the word of the Lord in love. Some of us say a lot of words to our kids, but we should just give them the word of the Lord. 
<laughs> Amen. Clap if it don't kill you. Verse 17 is interesting. He said to David, listen to Saul comes to his senses. He's lucid at this moment. Saul says to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have dealt with well with me, and I have dealt wickedly with you. Wow, Saul comes to his senses. Why? Because the Holy Spirit touched his hard heart through the words of David. Listen, David had the opportunity to use the sword first, but he kept his sword in its sheath, and he used his words first. We should always use our diplomacy before we resort to anything else. (laughs) And we should always say, let the Lord judge between you and I before we resort to anything else. There's a time for the sword. There's a time to fight. There's a time to draw the line in the sand and say, we're not giving up one more inch at this point. But that time should never come until we've used our words and our diplomacy and our humility and the word of the Lord first. David's proving himself to be a good king. See, kings need restraint. Kings need to not be easily provoked. Kings need to be free from pride and hubris. And David, again, is showing all of that character. Saul comes to his senses in a moment of lucidity here. His blind rage is, is, is quelled for just a moment. And he says, you know, you are more righteous than I. The first thing that Saul said that's made sense in many chapters you have dealt with well with me and I've dealt wickedly with you. You could have killed me, but you didn't. You treated me like a friend when I treated you like an enemy. You had mercy on me when I pursued you like an animal. Wow. Saul says, may the Lord reward you for your kindness toward me. Remember, Saul was in no position to put the blessing of the Lord on people. But listen, he, even he realizes this guy is a man of God with good character. He's been gracious to me. He should have run me through, but he didn't. Everyone else said he should have, but he didn't. So Saul appreciates what David has done to him. His blind rage comes to, you know, j- just a... It's not going to last, but you know, it's a moment of lucidity here. And he says something in verse 20 that is also profound and true and something that he needed to say and understand. He says, now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Saul had to come to the place where he could accept the will of God. And there's the moment right there. See, the will of God was, Saul, you, you didn't listen to me. You did exactly the opposite of what I told you to do time and time again. So I've rejected you as king. Now, I've anointed David, and you need to accept it. Saul couldn't accept it. Why? Because of his pride and his ego and his jealousy. But here in this moment, he, he pushes all of that aside. And he says, I get it right now. I understand. You're the man, David. You're the man for the job. And, 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 and saying that, it's like, and it's almost admitting his inadequacy and his failure. And he says, I know you're going to be king. I know you're going to rule Israel. You know, so, and you say, well, why? Couldn't Saul have just thought that? No, he needed to say it out loud. There's many times we need to say things out loud so that we can hear them. Amen. You see... I've wrestled with situations. I've wrestled with people. I've dealt with, you know, uh, people who were difficult and people who were oppressive. And, you know, there's many times where I had to come to conclusions in my car wrestling through things where I would say something out loud. And when I heard it, it settled my spirit. Come on now. 
Sometimes we just need to say, and what did he say? He spoke the will of God. He spoke God's agenda and not his own. And when he heard it, it did something to his heart. (laughs) Sometimes we need to just say the truth so we can hear it, so the devil can hear it, so God can hear and go, that's it, son. You got it. Now you got it. Amen. Amen. Saul says some true things here, and he accepts God's will for the moment. He, he, he's tired of trying to implement his own will. It's, being, it's exhausting. It's frustrating. He realizes uh, David is the man for the job. He's called by God, and he comes to term with it. Now, the, the verses 21 and 22, as the chapter closes down, uh, Saul shifts some gears, and he, he says some things that are pretty humble here. He says to David, so now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. So Saul's pretty much admitting, Dave, you're going to be the king, and I'm not, but when I'm gone, don't cut off my family. Don't kill all my... See, this is what kings did. They would come in, and their house would rule, and their family would rule, and they would cut off, and by I mean that, they would murder all the rest of the remnants of, you know, of Saul's house. I told you, this king stuff is nasty business. That's why God didn't want kings in Israel. The people wanted a king. They wanted to be like every other nation. Why in the world would God's chosen people want to be like everybody else? Here's the king asking the next king, don't wipe out my family, don't wipe out my legacy, don't wipe out my heritage. And he asked David to swear to to this. This is what's on Saul's heart. He knows he's done. He knows he's going to be replaced. But he asks the next king to have mercy on his family when he's gone. David swore to Saul. Now, most of us would have swore at Saul. Don't look so holy out there. I don't know how to swear. Yeah, most of us would have swore at Saul. It's a rough crowd this morning. But David swears to Saul and says, I'll I'll be kind to your family. What a heart. What an example. (laughs) I know David's not a perfect man. I know he does things that none of us ever want to do, but there's some things about his heart that are so admirable that I, I could say we should have a heart like David's heart just to be kind and humble and gracious and, uh, you know, to love our enemies and to not have our own agenda, but just to be secure in the will of God. Just so many beautiful things here as we dig in. David swears, I'll be kind to your family. I won't cut him off. And we're going to see when he does sit on the throne, he keeps his word. It's one thing to say, I'll do it, but it's another thing to actually do it. There's a difference between lip service and integrity. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we just thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for uh, this account that you have placed in your word, chronicling the, uh, this situation with your people, Israel, Lord, that we're seeing all the intricacies and the details of uh, kings rising and falling, of one man who refuses to submit to you and another man who is so pliable in your hands. Father, there's many things about David that we can admire and say we need to work that into our own lives. And Father, when we go through trial and crisis and pressure, when we are attacked unjustly, Father, help us to see it's a refining process. It's not that you're unfaithful or you're, you're being unfair. It's that you're bringing the dross out of us so that our character can line up with our calling so that when we get into our calling, our character will keep us there. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Give him praise this morning.